All right, well, good morning, church. Hey, listen, if you're new here, uh, my name is Will, and I serve as one of the elders and pastors here at High Point Church. And so I want to begin just by saying hello to you. I also want to say hello to everyone who is tuning in here in the greater Memphis area and to everyone who is tuning in from around the nation. We are so glad you are here. Now, this morning, I want to do things just uh, a little bit differently. Um, Instead of a traditional sermon, uh, what I want to do this morning is I want to address two very important topics, two very important subjects. Um, I want to start my talk this morning by having a conversation with you about our reopening plan or what we are referring to as our regathering plan. Um, We aren't referring to it as reopening because the church of Jesus Christ never closed. And so we are referring to it as a regathering plan instead of a reopening plan. And once I do that, that'll be the first few minutes of my talk. I will then transition. And what I want to do with the second half of my message is I want to cast vision for you around a a ministry shift, a ministry strategy that we are going to be implementing uh, this summer of 2020. Um, But the first thing I want to do is I want to begin by addressing our regathering plan. What I want to do is I want to have a, just a normal conversation with you about what our plan is for reopening and for regathering. Now, for those of you who tuned in um, a couple weeks ago, you know that during the Psalm 90 series uh, sermon, I began by essentially saying that there are three values or, or three filters uh, that we are using and working off of as we make decisions for our reopening plan. The first value, the first filter is the safety of our people. Uh, The second value, the second filter is the quality of experience. And then the third value, the third filter is the, is clarity from God. So it's the safety of our people, the quality of our experience and the clarity from God. These are the three values, the the three filters that we have been using in order to uh, make decisions on when we reopen. Um, A a few years ago, I heard this leadership principle that I think is just really, really good. And essentially what it is is this. If you want people uh, to respond the way you are responding, then you have to help them see what you are seeing. And so the reason why I want to work you through each one of these values and how they're playing out in our decision-making process uh, is because I want you to see how we ended up where we ended up, okay? So let me begin um, with the first value, the the first filter that we've been using, which is the safety of our people. Now, here's the thing. In my role as the the lead pastor of High Point Church, uh, there are two realities that I constantly have to be navigating. One reality is that I am spiritually responsible for you, uh, the congregation. The second reality that I constantly have to be navigating is not just that I am responsible for you, but that I am accountable to God. And for any of you who know me, uh, you know that I take this role very, very seriously. And it's actually because of that, that the team and I have been keeping a very close eye on what's been going on, not just nationally, but also locally. As many of you know, um, our county is in the process of reopening. And, and as we speak, we are in the second phase of that 
process. It's a three-phase journey, three-phase process, and we are in the second phase. So based on what I read last, uh, the, 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 the second phase will end, Lord willing, in about two weeks if everything goes to plan. And then the third phase will start, and then that'll last roughly two to three, maybe longer weeks, depending on how everything works out. So since everything in our our, our county is starting to reopen, uh, we have several people who've been reaching out to us saying, hey, in light of the fact that things are starting to reopen, uh, when are we going to reopen, right? So you're, lo- you're driving around and you're seeing that your favorite restaurant is open, your, your, the nail salon is open, the gym is open, the coffee shop is open. And so the question you might be having is when do we open up. Now, as I talk about the safety of our people, here's the a reality that I need you to be aware of. The reality is this, not every space or not every area, not every building is created equal. And here, here's what I mean by that. Even as we, you see restaurants opening up and coffee shops opening up and gyms opening up, right? And nail salons opening up. Uh, the reality is that when you compare uh, a Sunday morning church service uh, to one of those uh, examples I just gave you, it's, it's apples and oranges. Uh, the reality is that there's really nothing that you can compare to a Sunday morning church service. I would argue that the closest comparison is between a Sunday morning church service and a sporting event. That's probably the closest comparison that I have. And so even as you see all these things open up, there might be something in you that says, hey, why aren't we opening up sooner rather than later? But but what I would say is that those examples I just gave you, a nail salon, a grocery store, a restaurant, a coffee shop, are very, very different experiences than a Sunday morning church service experience. As a matter of fact, to actually prove that point, uh, this week I came across two articles uh, about churches that decided to open up early, as early as possible, and as a result, because they opened up early, uh, the coronavirus spread in their congregation, and then because of it, they were forced to close up again. They were literally forced to re-close again. One of the things that I came across this, I've been doing a lot of reading, a lot of studying and researching in this, in this season, is that it, it, you may know this, maybe you don't, but the, the, the places where the coronavirus has been most spreading or the quickest, right, is one, uh, nursing homes, uh, two, cruise ships, and three, you may not know this, but it's choirs, choirs. Now, now think about it. Nursing homes and cruises make sense because it's confined spaces, right? And, and just the, the demographic that's in, in, involved with the nursing home. But when you think about choirs, why choirs? Well, well, the reason why it's been spreading among choirs is because think about what choirs do. They, they come together to do what? They come together to sing. And, 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 and we don't know a lot about the coronavirus, but we know this, that it spreads through saliva. And so one of the things that we've seen and just I've seen as I've been reading and studying is that choirs is one of the places where the coronavirus has spread because of singing. And if you know anything about a Sunday morning experience, you can't really have Sunday morning unless there is singing, right? So here's the thing. Even as as I've been processing this idea, this concept of the safety of our people, Here's their reality. There are two demographics that are really on the forefront of my mind as we process the safety of our people. Uh, The first demographic are the people in our congregation who are at risk. And they might be at risk because of the stage of life that they're in, or they might be at risk because of some medical condition that they have. That's, That's the first group of people that's on the forefront of my mind. 
But the second group of people, you may not expect. The second demographic that's on the forefront of my mind as we uh, uh, pray and, and plan our reopening, regathering process is actually young parents. Young parents. And I think part of the reason why is because I'm a young parent myself, right? My wife and I, uh, Lily, we have a four-year-old and a seven-year-old. And so there's a good chance that that might be why it's on the forefront of my mind. But, but here's the thing about young parents. Let me, let me talk to young parents here for a second as we, as we look at this through the, through the lens of the safety of our people. Um, young parents today, right, are easily, and I'm not exaggerating here when I say this, but easily uh, the most helmeted, seatbelted, protected, gluten-free, toxin-free, fun-free, risk-avoiding generation ever when it comes to their kids. Now, why do I bring that up? Because I want to criticize you? No, I just want to tell you the reality. That's just the reality of the generation of parents that we have today. So here is what I need you young parents to know. You might be sitting here thinking, man, I just really want to get back to church. That's what we really need. I get it. We all want to get back and be in church again. But the reality is uh, uh, you might think, right, that, oh, if the church opened up on Sunday, I would be there. But here's the thing. Let's be totally honest. No, No, you wouldn't. There's, there's no way you would be back if we opened up this Sunday. Here's the thing. Here's something I want you to process. Many young parents are barely allowing their kids to see their grandparents now. Like in the last couple of weeks, you know, grandkids are finally, just now, starting to see uh, their, their grandparents. So, so if the grandparents just started seeing the kids, what makes you think that you're going to allow your kid to go with a complete stranger uh, in a Sunday morning kids ministry uh, setting, Right? So, so what I would argue is that if we come back too soon, if we come back too soon, I think there's two things about parents that are going to happen. We're either going to have absent parents, so we're going to have parents who are just going to skip out and say, no, I'm not ready to go back because of the safety of my family and my children. So we're either going to have absent parents, or if we come back too soon, we're going to have very stressed out parents. And here's why I say that. Because if we come to church too soon, we're not going to have children's ministry because volunteers aren't going to, we had volunteers issues before this happened. So volunteers aren't going to be uh, uh, ready to, to, to go if we come back too early, right? And so you either have absent parents or you're going to have stressed parents, stressed out parents who are going to be sitting in a sanctuary uh, trying to keep their kid from making too much noise or trying to keep their kids from violating other people's social distancing uh, restrictions, Right? And so those are just the realities of the season that we find ourselves in. In light of that, what I would say is that this is why, at the very least, uh, we as High Point Church uh, will not come back until the phases are over. At the very least, we will not come back until the three phases are over over. And, and I, I want to emphasize at the very least, I'm not saying that we're going to come back immediately after those are over, but at the very least, we won't come back until the three phases are over because one of our values is the safety of our people. Now, another value is the quality of our experience. Here's the thing about the quality of our experience. If we come back too soon, there is no way that we will be able to offer the same quality experience that we were experiencing before this quarantine happened, right? We are going to come together, and, and the reality is, is if you know anything about the history of High Point Church, High Point Church has always been a church that puts a high, uh, uh, puts a lot of weight on quality and on excellence of experience. And so because of that, th there's just no way that if we came back too soon that we would be able to provide the quality experience that many of us are 
used to. And here's what I want you to know. There is a very big difference between quality and novelty, okay? And one of the things that I've realized in this season is that what people... People aren't really processing the quality part of it, but what they really want is the novelty part. Here's what I mean. There's a part of us that's curious to see, man, I wonder what church would be like if we went to church, you know, during the tail end of this pandemic, you know, during the tail end of this quarantine. What what would it be like? You know, people wearing masks and people wearing gloves and it would be such a memorable moment. And here's the thing, that's great, but there's a difference between novelty and quality. I think that even the people who would show up, after a couple weeks of that, they would say, okay, the, the novelty has worn off because novelty has a very short expiration date. And then they'd be like, ah, you know what? I'm probably gonna wait around and come back once everything is back to normal. And so I want you to know that there's a big difference between novelty and quality. And let me kind of play this out for you so that you can kind of see how the team and I have been processing uh, this situation. Let's pretend that we came back uh, this Sunday or or we came back next Sunday. Imagine with me what it would be like. Just just walk through the building with me, right? If if you walk in, here's the thing, at at both of our uh, campuses, by the grace of God, we have big sanctuaries, but our lobbies really aren't that big. And so even if we were able to honor all the social distancing restrictions, within inside the room, the moment we got out to the lobby, it would be a whole different experience. Kids would be running around. People wouldn't be able to shake hands or hug. Our, our guest services team would be like, what do we do? We wouldn't be able to give out coffee. We wouldn't really be able to welcome people as they walk in. It would be a very, very awkward experience. Again, like I mentioned earlier, that's not even to mention the fact that many of our volunteers wouldn't come back if we came back too soon. And so we wouldn't even be able to provide uh, the childcare and all the other things that we provide on a Sunday morning for the experience to be a quality experience. Let's talk specifically about the worship, right? Imagine being in a worship setting. Many of you have been here in the building, right? So imagine being in a worship setting at at East Memphis or at Kyrieville, and we we sit down, and not only do you have to do the six six feet of social distancing to your left and to your right, but you also have to do it from your front to your back. So you're literally sitting with a six-foot parameter radius around you trying to worship. Not only that, but then you would have to wear your mask because that's what we would do. So you're sitting six feet away from people. Uh, You are wearing a mask. And here's the thing. I love you guys, but we had times even before this happened where the singing wasn't even that loud to begin with. And so if we add this on top of that, and now all of a sudden you're six feet apart, right? And you, you have a mask on, the worship experience is going to be very, very awkward to say the least. And that's not even including the fact that those who bring children have to somehow keep them focused so that you can tune in and, and stay concentrated on the message. So as a result of the quality of our experience, here's what I need you to know. We do not plan on coming back until, until we can offer a better experience in person than we can online. That's one of the values. In light of that quality of experience, we don't want to come back until we can offer a better experience in person than we can online. Here's the great thing about the quality of experience. In a little bit, I'm going to cast vision for you about where we're headed. And I would argue that the quality of the experience online is actually going to go up starting in June. And so I'm really excited to get to that part of the message. The last thing I want to talk to you about as far as values is concerned is I want to talk to you about clarity from God. Clarity from God. 
Now, here's the thing. Because it's the third one, you would think that it's the least important one, right? But what I want you to know is that just because it's last, it doesn't mean that it's least. I would argue that out of the three values, this one is by far easily, in our, in our, in our opinion, the most important value in filter. Clarity from God. And here's the thing. I want to confess something to you right here in this message. I want to be honest and I want to be vulnerable with you, okay? This value, clarity from God, is probably the one where God's grown me the most. Uh, it's probably the one where I've really had to rely on God the most. Because here, here's how I've been feeling. I'm going to be totally honest and vulnerable with you, right? Going into this quarantine, let's just be honest, I was here three months. We go into this quarantine, so half of my time at High Point has been in quarantine, right? No one planned that. So then when people start talking about the reopening, I started feeling lots of uh, uh, uncertainty, uh, lots of uh, anxiety, lots of insecurity, I was, I was looking around and I was listening to other people's opinions and I was trying to learn and, and I was comparing myself to other churches. But, but the more I, I did it, the more uncertain and the more anxious and the more insecure I felt. And what the Lord has taught me, because I, I believe that God, God is big enough to not just do something at the national level, but to do something at the personal level. What the Lord has taught me in this season is that the reason why I have been anxious is because I haven't really been praying as much as I've been listening and comparing. Okay? So, so instead of praying vertically, I, I've been spending a lot of my time uh, uh, listening to others and comparing myself to other churches. So I want to kind of walk you through this clarity from God one, because this is the one where the Lord really has, 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 has spoken to me, and I could honestly say has convicted me. All right? So, so, so as I was processing why I was so anxious and, and uncertain, what, what, what I realized, and this is what the Lord kind of laid on my heart over the past several weeks, is that the reason why I was so anxious is because I was listening to everything everybody's voice instead of his voice. The, the, his voice was one of the voices, but it was not the primary voice. And so I was coming to God and I was, I was, I was learning from others and I was listening to others, but without even realizing I was leaning on others as well. God says, hey, you can learn from others. You can listen to others, but you better only lean on me. So the first thing that God really convicted me of in this season as we make these decisions is that the only voice that ultimately matters it's his voice. Here's the other thing that God taught me as I've been praying for clarity from him on this situation and on this season. The other thing that God has taught me is that God's like, listen, it doesn't matter what other churches are doing. It doesn't matter what that church in Memphis is doing. It doesn't matter what that church in Carville is doing. It doesn't matter what that church in California is doing. It doesn't matter what other churches are doing because you are not the pastor of that church. You are the pastor of High Point Church in Memphis, Tennessee, and that is the church that I am going to hold you accountable for. That is the church that I placed you over. So at the end of the day, I know this sounds bad, but I really don't care what other churches are doing because God is going to hold me accountable for this church because he has placed me as the lead pastor of High Point Church. And here's the other thing that God's been convicting me of. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter if it's the president or the governor or, 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 or some religious leader. It doesn't matter who it is. The only person whose plans have not been ruined is God. Everybody else had plans. Oh, we're going to be back by Easter. Oh, no, we're going to do this. And we're going to, oh, no, no, don't worry about it. This is just a fad. This is going to just blow away. No, the only person who has not had his plans ruined or thwarted is God. Okay? And so what the Lord has convicted me of is this. God literally has shown me in this season, Will, if I am the one who led you into this season, I will be the one who leads you out of it. Not the president, not the governor. No, no. If I am the one who led High Point Church 
to this season, to this season, I will be the one who leads you out. And so where I was convicted is that the Lord essentially was saying, what's going to influence your decision more? Your prayer life or the last post that you read on Facebook? Are you going to do, are you going to follow me based, is prayer going to be your ultimate filter or some post on social media? Okay. And here's what I need you to know. And I need you to follow with me here. The one thing that, I, that we know, the one thing that we know about the coronavirus is that we don't know anything. Okay. The, the one certainty is that there's uncertainty. So, so, so here's why I need you to understand this. All these articles and all these politicians and all these statements, the one certainty, the one thing we know is that we don't really know. And here's what happens. When we lack information, we don't like that. We don't like lacking information. So when we lack information, we go looking for any information. And a lot of times when we go looking for any information, it results in misinformation. Okay, so let me go ahead and say that again. When we lack information, we don't like that. So when we lack information, we go looking for any information, which then results in misinformation. And so here's what I need you to know. Even as I get to the place where I tell you when we're hoping to come back, you might not agree with me, and that's totally fine. At the end of the day, I'm not, account I'm not gonna be held accountable to you, I'm held accountable to the Lord. But here's what I need you to know. There is a major difference between an opinion and a conviction. Okay, so, so here's what I'm saying. Even those people who, because again, like I said, the one thing we know about the coronavirus is that we don't know anything about the coronavirus, right? The one thing we know about this season is that we don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow or a week from now or a month from now. If that's true, that we all lack information, then all of a sudden we can't have convictions because there's not enough information for that. We have opinions. But one of the things that we gotta be careful with is that if we're not, if we're not really processing, we will confuse our opinions with convictions. And opinions and convictions are very, very different. And so one of the things that we have to be careful of in this season is that people will say, oh, that's right or that's wrong. But this isn't a right or wrong season. This isn't a black or white season. This is a very gray season. So I'm not praying for right or wrong. I'm praying for wisdom to navigate the gray that we find ourselves in. So even as I tell you when we come back, like I said, you may not agree with that, but that's not actually a conviction, it's an opinion because we are all working off of a limited amount of information. And here's what we do. Whatever our opinion is, when we, when we go on social media, when we watch the news, when we listen to the radio, we don't actually go looking for information to change our minds, we actually go looking for affirmation to reinforce what we already think. And so that's why opinions feel like convictions because we only listen to the articles and to the posts and to the people who are reinforcing what we already think. So I say all that to say this, there's a difference between opinion and conviction. I don't have, I, I, I've been praying for the Lord to lead me. I've been praying for the Lord to guide us. But I can tell you that, that based on what I know, this is why we're headed in the direction we're headed. But I can't tell you, it's this, the one conviction I have is that God is the one I got to look to. That's the only conviction I have in this season. Where he leads us, we'll see. But I can tell you that the only conviction I have is that God is the place where we must go. Here's what I need you to see. Part of the reason why I want to emphasize this clarity from God peace is so important for me to talk to you about this is because I want, I know that as the leader of this church, I, I don't have to just lead you, but I, I must model for you how to deal with crisis. Here, here's the thing. I am not the only one dealing with phases. Okay. This church, the high point, isn't the only one navigating phases. You are dealing with phases right now. Uh, when do my kids go back to school? When do I go back to work? When do we feel comfortable going out again and eating at a restaurant? All of 
of our lives right now are in phases. And so what I want you to see is that part of my role is not just to lead us in this season, but to model for you that the only voice that ultimately matters is God's, is God's voice. So in light of everything that I just told you, in light of all those, those values that I just said, safety of people, uh, quality of experience, clarity from God, again, clarity from God, even in light of the, the, the announcement that President Trump made on Friday. On Friday, President Trump said that church gatherings are essential, and man, more power to him. But here's the thing, just because something is essential doesn't mean something is beneficial. And as much as I appreciate that announcement, it doesn't change the three values that we've been working off of, which is the safety of people, the quality of experience, and the clarity from God. Paul says that all things are permissible, but not everything is beneficial. I will say the same thing with this. With this. Something might be essential, but just because it's essential, it doesn't mean it's beneficial. So in light of the values, in light of these filters, what we want you to know is that our plan right now, Lord willing, there's a big Lord willing on this because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, let alone a month from now. Our plan is Lord willing to come back mid to late summer mid to late summer. So to kind of give you an idea of what that is, I'm not going to give you a specific date because like I said, we don't know what's going to happen. But to kind of give you an idea of what I mean by mid to late summer, uh, instead of the June, July uh, range, I would say it's more in the July, August timeframe. That's where we are uh, when it comes to this, uh, this conversation about reopening and regathering. And like I said, you might have a different opinion we respect that, but in light of the information we have, in light of everything we've read, and more than anything else, in light of the, 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 the time and prayer that we've spent with God, we feel that this is the best decision for our church in this moment. So the first thing that I wanted to talk to you about is this conversation about reopening and regathering. Now, the second thing uh, that I want to spend time on this morning, and I'll spend more time on this, is I also want to talk to you about ministry strategy. Uh, I, I want to not only have a conversation with you about where we are, but I want to cast vision for you on where we are going. So, so in light of that time frame that I just gave you, one of the questions that you might be asking is this. Wait, hold on. If, if that's when we plan on coming back, then what will we do in the meantime? Well, I am so glad you asked. What a, what a great, great question. Okay, because here's the thing. In this season, man, I, I don't know what's been, maybe it's just because things have kind of been pushed away and there's been less distraction, but in this season, God and I have been talking. I've been praying a ton in this season, and here's what's really cool about the time that I've been able to spend with God. Not only has it been just a sweet time of fellowship for me, but I've had an opportunity in this season over the last several weeks and even last several months to not only pray for, for clarity from God on the reopening front, but, but during these last few months, I've been able to pray and ask God for clarity on the ministry front. So it's not just, God, what do you want us to do as far as reopening? But Lord, what are, what are you teaching us and what are you doing as far as ministry? Now, now, here's the thing. Again, the Lord convicted me again. The Lord's been convicting me a ton, all right? And so if you can pray for anything in my life, pray for my prayer life. That, that, that as long as I stay connected to God, everything's going to be okay, okay? But in my prayer life, the Lord has also been convicting me because not only did I have a, 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 um, 
unhealthy relationship with the horizontal things going on around me, right? Uh, constantly looking at what other churches were doing, constantly looking at what other people were saying. I also realized that I wasn't, not only was I not praying enough for the reopening, but I wasn't praying enough about what God wanted us to do, what, where God wanted us to go, what God wanted us to learn from this unprecedented season that we find ourselves in. And, and here's what I want you to know, okay? As I was praying, what the Lord has convicted me in during this season is up to, the, essentially up to a few weeks ago, I had been praying survival prayers, uh, not revival prayers, okay? I was praying, Lord, I just, I, I just want to get through this. And, and, and instead of praying for revival, I, all my prayers were about survival. And so the Lord convicted me in this season to say, you're, you're looking at this all wrong. You don't understand that sovereignly, I am the one who put your church in this place. Here's the thing. Uh, J.D. Greer in his book, Gaining by Losing, he uses this illustration of a football game. And he said that the church is like a football team. And every week we come together and, and we huddle up and then after the play is called, then we, we disperse and run the play. But you know what's beautiful about that? That this season hasn't been a huddle every week type season. It's been a no huddle offense. And I don't know if you know about anything about football, but what I can tell you about football is that the most dangerous offense is the offense that's playing a no huddle offense. Because all you're doing is, is playing the last play you heard from the coach, which is God. And so here's what's really cool about this. As, as I started shifting my perspective on this season, I started praying. I said, Lord, help me to pray not just survival prayers, but revival prayers. Help me, Lord, to not just have a spirit of anticipation, like get me out of it, but a spirit of participation. Join me in it. I, I, I was, I, it just changed. That now I'm playing, Lord, I don't want to just anticipate. I want to participate. Instead of saying, Lord, get me out of this season, the Lord's really convicted me and saying, no, instead of you praying, get me out, you should be praying for me to come in, for me to join you in this season. Here's what's crazy about the Bible. When you look back at the Old Testament, almost every time God did something special in the life of the Israelites, you see it in the book of Exodus, you see it in the book of Nehemiah, almost every time God did something special, he would always have the Israelites prepare themselves, purify themselves, consecrate themselves. He would say, in, when he gives the law, he says, I want the people to take three days to prepare themselves, to consecrate themselves for what I am about to do. And so, man, I, and the same thing with the book of Nehemiah. Before Nehemiah reads the word to the people, they, the people had to consecrate themselves. They had to prepare themselves. So what you see when you look at the Old Testament is that God has established a pattern that he wants in seasons like this to say, hey, uh, I believe in light of the, the Old Testament that this season is not a time for us to just wait. It's a time for us to consecrate ourselves, to purify ourselves, to prepare ourselves for what God is already doing. Listen, church, God is already doing something. So our job is to get in line with what he's doing and not force him to join us in what we are doing. And so the prayer for me really shifted and I started to say and pray, God, teach me, teach us what you want us to do different. How will ministry change as a result of this quarantine? 
Because the reality is that before the quarantine, and this isn't just our church, it was every church in America, before the quarantine, discipleship and ministry were very building-centric. In other words, if you weren't in the building, you really weren't being discipled and you weren't really doing ministry. That's how ministry was done before the quarantine. It was very building-centric. So when I started changing how I prayed, and I started praying uh, revival prayers instead of survival prayers, and I started praying for participation instead of anticipation, all of a sudden, the Lord, being faithful, started revealing himself through different things. It wasn't like I heard a voice from heaven, but he started revealing himself through different things. There's, there's three things I want to share with you that God used in order to shape what I want to share with you here today. The first thing that he used pretty early on in the quarantine was this article by Andy Crouch. Now, Andy Crouch is this Christian author, and he, along with other authors, wrote an article called How Every Organization is Now a a, essentially a restart or a brand new uh, church, or not a church, a brand new organization, right? Is, the, the, the premise of the article is that in light of this quarantine, every organization is now starting brand new. And in that article, he, he said something that really stood out to me. He said that there, there are people, there are three ways for us to view this quarantine. He says, the first way to view this quarantine is to view it like it's a blizzard. He says, the people who are viewing it like it's a blizzard, what they're doing is they, they are, what do you do during a blizzard? During a blizzard, you stay inside for a couple days, you, you, hunker, you hunker down, and then once the blizzard is over, you go outside again. He said, some people are treating it like a blizzard. He said, others are treating it like it's winter. And what's winter? Well, winter is essentially an extended blizzard. Instead of a few days, it's a few months. And so what people are doing, some people are treating this quarantine, this pandemic, like it is a winter. Instead of just a few days, it's a few months. So you go out when you need to, but by and large, you just hunker down and you wait it out because spring is coming. But what Andy Crouch argues is that the people who view it as winter and the people who view it as, as a blizzard who are just saying, I can't wait for this season to end so we can just go back to doing what we were doing. He says the people who are viewing it that way are not going to be uh, uh, successful and are not going to be fruitful on the other side of this pandemic. He says that instead of viewing it like a blizzard that only lasts a few days or a winter that only lasts a few months, he says we should look at it as an ice age or as a climate change that will change how we do things from here on out. He said that the organizations, both for-profit and non-profit, that are going to be the most successful and the most fruitful on the other side of this pandemic are the ones who see it as a climate change, as an ice change, as a shift in how things are done from here on out. So the first thing that God used was that article. The second thing God used, though, as he was kind of uh, uh, working in me and as, as I changed the way I pray, is he, every week, we, we as a staff, we, we have this, this thing called a heat map. And what this heat map does is it tells us about what is going on around the nation on a Sunday morning. And so one of the, the platforms that we use is Church Online. And what Church Online does is it provides this heat map to show us where people are tuning in from a Sunday morning on a Sunday morning. There's a, there's a few things that I want you to be aware of here that I think are really, really important. The first thing I want you to see is that all these red dots that you see are only on one platform. So we are on Facebook, we are on YouTube, and we are on Church Online. These dots are only the people who connect with us on a Sunday morning on Church Online. So you imagine how many more dots there would be if we had the Facebook and the YouTube da data and, 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 you know, uh, 
these things, whatever these, 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 these drop points, whatever, uh, pin drops. Imagine what it would look like if we had all of those included. This is only church online and only on one Sunday morning, right? So man, as, as I started looking at this, Something hit me. We see, when I became the lead pastor of High Point Church uh, several months ago, I didn't really understand just how wide our reach actually was. I was convinced that we were a church in Memphis for Memphis. Even though that's true, what I came to discover is that we're not in Memphis anymore, right? Instead of we're not in Kansas anymore, we're not in Memphis anymore. Or let me, let me put it like this. We're not only in Memphis anymore. Because look at this, guys. People all over the nation who, who tune in, and like I said, this is only one of the platforms, and so every week, our team would show us this heat map, and the more I looked at it, the more convicted I was about the fact that, man, each one of these pin drops is, a, is, is an individual. It could be one person, or it can be a group of people, but it's individuals who are connecting with us all throughout the nation. This represents people, and in many times, more than one person, and those people have relationships with non-believers, non-believing family, non-believing friends, non-believing uh, uh, individuals in their life, and co-workers, and, and as, man, the more I saw this, the more convicted I was about the fact that, man, we, we can't behave like we're only a church that's here because we're not just a church that's in this region. It's clear that God has given us a greater reach and a greater impact. So, and here's the other thing, it's not just the heat map that shows this to us. Every week as people interact with us in the chats, uh, we see people tuning in from Ohio and from uh, the, the, the uh, um, uh, or, you know, Florida and from all different places you see people interacting with in the, in the chat saying to us, I'm from here and I'm from here. And people who say High Point is their home. So man, the, the, the more I, I looked at this week after week, that in combination with the article that I told you I read, man, the Lord just started working something in me. But then here's the thing, and this is what I want you to see. Not only did the Lord start working that in me with the article and with this map, but then I, I, during this quarantine, I've had a lot of time to just meditate on scripture and look at different parts of the Bible. And then all of a sudden, I came across this, uh, this, this passage in Luke chapter 19. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, uh, we have Jesus talking, right? I came across this just in my, my, my regular reading of the word. Man, and I, for some reason, my heart was just drawn to this. Here's what Jesus says. He says, in, in Luke 19, verse 10, he says, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, many of you have heard that verse before, right? It's not a brand new verse for the people who've grown up in church. Maybe if you haven't grown up in church, it might be brand new to you, but it's a very common verse. And essentially what Luke 19 verse 10 is, it's, it's Jesus's mission statement. It's Jesus stating for everyone to know what his mission statement is. The son of man, which is him, came to seek and to save the law. So, so I came across this verse and for some reason, the word that, with all the other stuff God was teaching me, the, the word that really was kind of like jumping out at me was the word seek. I'm like, I wonder what the word there, seek in Greek means. And so here's what the word Greek, uh, seek in Greek means. It means to look for something or someone. I expected that. It means to desire after something or someone. I expected that. But here's what I didn't expect. The word there, seek, in the Greek, means to seek information 
or make a philosophical inquiry about something or someone by thinking, meditating, or reasoning. So, so here's why this impacted me so much. Because the word seek there doesn't just mean that you go look for someone, to, you know, that they're lost and you're looking for their location. It literally means in the Greek to seek information about someone through thinking, through meditating, through reasoning in order to understand their perspective, in order to understand their worldview, in order to understand where they are coming from. So, so that verse stood out to me. And then uh, in, in, in Luke chapter 7, so in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, you get his mission. But then in Luke 7, you see his method. And here's what's beautiful about Jesus. And this isn't for me. This is actually Dr. Tim Chester. Uh, Dr. Tim Chester is this missiologist, and he writes a lot about the mission and the methods of Jesus. And in his book, he connects Luke 19, verse 10, with Luke chapter 7 and says, in Luke 19, we get Jesus' mission. In Luke chapter 7, we get Jesus' methods, right? And look what it says in Luke 7, 34. Then I'm going to read a, 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 lar a, a larger part here in a second. But in Luke 7, verse 34, we are introduced to his methods. Look at what it says. It says, the son of man came, this is Jesus talking, the son of man came eating and drinking, and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So that's Jesus describing to us his methods. And then a little bit later in chapter 7, we get an actual example of Jesus carrying out his methods. Look what it says later on in chapter 7. Jesus is at Simon the Pharisee's house, a religious insider, and Jesus and Simon are interacting. It says, Jesus answered him, Simon, he says, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts, the debts of both. And he says, now, which of them will, he, will love him more? Simon replied, well, he's like, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then, get this, this, this is crazy to me, guys. So Jesus is at Simon the Pharisee's house, this religious insider who's at the top of the ladder. He's, he's having a conversation with him. There's people at the house. You would think all of his attention would be around the religious insider, the person who had it all figured out, the person who was at the top, of the, the, the top rung of the ladder. But look at verse 44. This jumped out at me. It was crazy. Then he, Jesus, turned toward the woman, and you're like, what What woman? Well, here's the thing. If you look at chapter seven, there's a woman at Simon's house. And this woman is literally, she, we don't know much about her, but there's a good chance she came from a very broken background. She, she was a sinner. She was, unlike Simon, she was at the bottom of the ladder, right? So here's what's crazy though. And, and, and nothing in the Bible is by accident. Then he, Jesus, turned toward the woman. So his, his, his disposition has changed. He's, he's facing the woman. But then it says, and he said to Simon. Don't miss that. So, so Jesus is talking to Simon, but he's not looking at Simon. His, his disposition, his attention, his care, his affection is toward the outsider, not the insider. So he's speaking to the uh, uh, insider, but he is, his disposition and his heart is toward the outsider. And he says to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. 
You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I answered has not stopped kissing my feet. Here's what I want you to see. And then he says, you did not put oil on my head, but she has, not, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Here's what I need you to see about this passage. And this is really important, okay? Dr. Tim Chester, and I had a quote, but for the sake of time, I'm not going to read it. But here's the thing. Dr. Tim Chester in his book on missiology, here's what he says. He says that in chapter 19, you get the mission of Jesus. And he says, when you look at Jesus, his mission and his message never changed. His mission was to seek and save the lost. His message was the good news of the gospel, right? But what he said is that Jesus' methods changed from person to person and that Jesus' demeanor, his focus was on the outsider and not on the insider. So, 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 so here's what I need you to see. As, 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 as I'm processing this, as, as we are working our way through this, what, what I need you to understand is that Jesus in this passage, he is actually providing for us an example. That's what actually Tim Chester argues, that as we go out to, to, to reach people, we need to seek people, not just their location, but we also have to seek where people are coming from. We have to understand what they are wrestling with. We have have to understand uh, 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 their, their, their perspective and their worldview. In other words, and the word their loss in the Greek means someone who does not even know their loss. So the lost world around us is so lost that the only way that can be found is if we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, go and find them, right? But to seek doesn't just mean to find their location. It means to understand their perspective to understand their perspective. So according to Tim Chester and according to Jesus and the example he sets, man, our mission and our message never changes, but our methods have to change. They have to change in order for us to really have the impact that God is calling us to have. So, so this, all those three factors I just shared with you, uh, the article and the heat map and these passages all came together and showed me, man, that we had to change the way we viewed discipleship. We had to change the way we viewed uh, a ministry. We had to. It just, just technology. Here's what's funny about the internet and, and, and this streaming thing that we're all doing now. I would say that about six months ago, probably more than half of the churches in America said, we're never going to stream. We're only going to be here and we're live and we're in person. That's the only way we're going to do ministry. Uh, fast forward a few months and now everybody's a televangelist. Now everybody's on a stream. Everybody has to be on a stream because it's the only way for us to reach people right now. And even before that, let's say even the people who were doing streaming, they were like, oh, well, online numbers don't really count. You know, other numbers count, but, but not online numbers. They, they, just, they just aren't the same. They, they, don't, they don't value, they don't, they don't have the same value as people who are in the room. Well, now, all of a sudden, they're the only numbers that count. And so what I love is that with every generation, God has given us the, the common grace of technology. And you think about the printing press and how the printing press changed Christianity. You think about radio and how radio changed Christianity. You think about television, how television Television changed Christianity. And now you think about the internet and how internet can change the Christianity. What I want to do is in light of that heat map that I already showed you, we have all these people all throughout the nation who are tuning in. That's not just that this is just a matter of us doing what we've already been doing, but stewarding it better, right? It's not changing who we are. It's not even changing what we do, but it's stewarding the things that we're already doing in order to have a greater impact for the kingdom of God. What, what does it look like for us to, to, to move these people from just being consumers to being contributors, from just being entertained to being engaged. 
uh, from just being recipients to being participants. And so in light of all that, we, we got to a place where we said, look, after this quarantine, there are certain people who are just never going to come back to church ever again. And that might be for, out of fear. That may be out of health concerns, right? And there's other people who, even before the quarantine, were never going to step into a building. Look, I know that here in Memphis, this thing's a little bit different because it's more church. But take it from someone who came from Chicago. As our nation becomes more and more unchurched, church is not an option for people anymore. I have friends in Chicago who wouldn't step into a church building no matter what. They, their, their, their mom wasn't a Christian. Their grandmom wasn't a Christian. Their great-great-grandmom wasn't a Christian. No Christians anywhere in their life or anywhere in their past. And so in their mind, there's no shame or guilt about church. They don't even have that, that, that religious shame that most people in the South use to get into the building. No, they don't even have that. And so in light of the fact that this quarantine has happened, in light of the fact of where we're going, how do we meet people where they are? And so in light of all everything I just said, here's what I want to introduce to you today. As I've been processing and as I've been meditating on, Lord, where do you want us to go? I brought this idea to, to our team and, and over the last several weeks, we've been wrestling through it and praying through it and, and really making sure that it's from the Lord. And here today, in light of everything I just shared, here is what I want to introduce to you uh, this morning. So up to this point, as many of you know, um, when I arrived here, High Point uh, was a two-campus, two-location church. So we had High Point at East Memphis, we had, so High Point Church at East Memphis. We had High Point Church in Cairoville. And so what we are introducing and what I want to talk to you about today is High Point Church at home. High Point Church at home. Now, now here's the thing about High Point Church at home. You might be sitting here thinking, hold on, this all sounds great, but it seems to me like I've been doing this a little bit already. But, but, but here, here's what I need you to know. There's a very big difference between watching online and having church at home, okay? And what I need you to know is that this vision that we're rolling out, uh, High Point Church at Home, or, or another way of saying is church at home, this is a, a one part of a four-part vision that we're going to be rolling out in the fall. And so the team and I kind of found ourselves in a really unique position. Like, okay, we, 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 we want to roll it all out together in the fall. But man, in light of this quarantine, we have a very specific opportunity to roll this out ahead of time and to pilot it, to roll it out in phases and to say, hey, what can we learn from this time so that by the time we get into the fall, this, this initiative, this new strategy and ministry can can be more than just a pilot, more than just in phase one, but something that we can roll out nationally. So what I love about this is that essentially we are still two locations physically, but now God in his sovereignty during this season has given us many more locations, has given us many more sites, not just in Memphis, but as you can tell by the map, all throughout the nation. But like I said, maybe you're wondering, hold on, I thought I was already doing church at home. But this is very different from, from watching online is very different from church at home. What we want you to see is that as we move into this new direction, we want to change the way we approach ministry. We want to change the way we approach discipleship. And so up to this point, like I said, ministry and discipleship used to be building-centered. And what we want to do is move it away from being building-centered to being believer-centered. And we want to move it away from being a monologue to being a dialogue. So, so the question you might be asking is, okay, well, in light of all that, what, what would this church at home initiative look like? What would this new strategy look like? Well, here's what, I, what it would look like. 
Here's what we are planning on rolling out. I broke it up into sections so that I can unpack for you uh, where we're headed and what it will look like. So the first thing I want to address here is the when, the when. As you see here, it says Sunday, June 7th. So that is two weeks from now. We, we want to roll out the, the first phase of High Point at Home on Sunday, June 7th. And one of the things that are, that are, that's going to change and when we get there is we are now going to be having a service at 10 a.m. and a service at 5 p.m. Okay, so 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. Now, who will be at this High point at home. Well, I'm glad you asked because here's where we are. Right now, in light of how we are setting this up, the reason why we think that this is the future of not just our church, but I would argue the church in general, is because we, we are saying, what does it look like for us in this season in particular and going forward in general for us to meet together in our homes and to strategically do church in the place where we've been doing church individually? How, what does it look like for us to do church corporately? So who would be there? Well, you would be there, right? Uh, your friends could be there. Your neighbors can be there. Your family can be there. Even your small group. We have many of you who are already in small groups. What would it look like for you starting June 7th to come together as a small group and do church together in someone's home? A, a host opens up their house and they say, hey, come to my house and let's do church together for the next uh, uh, few weeks in this season. And then even going forward, what would it look like for different groups that maybe start now to keep meeting in groups, uh, meeting in their homes going forward. Now, I want you to say, here, say, say, say something here that's really important, okay? Um, this is not replacing anything we do. This is in addition to what we do. So if any of you are sitting here and you're scared that we're no longer going to do church live or we're going to move away from the things that make us high point, no, we're still keeping those things. But going forward, we're not going to be less than that, but we're going to be much more than that, right? So there's the when, and then there's the who, and then when we talk about the where, it would be in your home. And as the different phases continue to roll out, it can be a coffee shop, or it can be in a dorm, or it can be in a restaurant. It can be wherever you want to do church. But, but we want to move from it having to be a building-centric thing, which so many people are saying, that's why we got to get back, because if we're not in the building, we're not doing church, right? And we're saying, man, when you look at the when, the who, and the where, this could happen in many different places. Now, the question is what? what? What does it actually look like? What would these groups consist of? So it can be, like I said, a family, friends, neighbors, coworkers, or your small group. And then what you do is you come together either for the 10 a.m. service or for the 5 p.m. service. And here's essentially what it looks like. You, you gather together, you watch the service online, and then you discuss in groups. So, so let me unpack this for you, okay? Let's say that you and your group, you and that, the, the people that are in your home, decide that you want to do it at 10. Well, you guys can get together and you guys can have maybe a, a breakfast before, you can have a lunch after, and you can have it be something so that you have fellowship. Here's the thing, I'm, I'm convinced that what many people are missing is not so much the Sunday morning experience, what they're missing is fellowship. They're missing being together with people, doing life with people, praying with them, praising with them, uh, encouraging them. And that's what people are actually missing. And so what we are excited about is that this this initiative is going to allow us to do just that. So, so you gather together in someone's home, then you watch one of our two services together, 
And then after the message is over, the service is over, then we will set it up for discussion. So I'll talk a little bit more on this as I give you the last one. So layout. Starting June 7th, as we roll out uh, this, this High Point at Home initiative, here's what the layout is going to look like. Our services, starting June 7th, are going to have a shorter length, so we're going to aim to have our services roughly around about an hour, so we're going to short, shorten the length of our services. In addition to that, starting June 7th, uh, we are going to have live worship music here in the room, along with my sermon. And we're also going to have live hosts. And here's what I mean by live hosts. At the beginning, the first 15 minutes before the service begins, uh, we're going to have uh, two hosts just interacting with each other. Maybe it'll be one host at some point. But at first, this is through the month of June, we're going to have two hosts, uh, Pastor Dustin and Pastor, Pastor Lance, hosting and, and engaging and preparing you for what's about to happen, giving you directions, giving you clarity, and giving you vision around, around what that time can look like. And then at the end of my sermon on June 7th, here's what I would do. I, I will finish the sermon, I will pray, and then I will transition us to have discussion. And here's what I mean. At the end of my sermon, I will set up questions, and then I'll pray for us. And literally, while you are in the room with these people, they will, we will allow the service to go another 30, 35 minutes. And on the screen, you will literally have uh, the questions to discuss. And so the sermon ends, you discuss it together, you have fellowship, and then everybody can go home. So that's what we are doing. Now, the cool thing is, is that we're doing this in phases. And so for those of you who decide to join in, you're helping us pilot this. You, you can help us. We can learn from you. We don't, we don't have to have it all figured out day one. And to be honest, we don't have it all figured out. Where there are still a lot of phases that, a lot of things that we are adding as we go. But what I can tell you is that this is a really cool opportunity for you to join in on this phase one of what we're doing so that as we pilot it during this time of quarantine, we can roll it out at, at, at a much more effective rate um, going into the fall. The other thing that's going to happen on June 7th is we are starting a brand new sermon series in conjunction with everything else that's, ha with everything else that's happening. And the name of the series is Habitology. Um, as some of you may know the, that this, uh, this ending here, ology, means the study of something. And so what we're going to do in this series for several weeks, starting June 7th, is we are going to look at, we're going to do a study of habits. But what I'm really excited about is you look here at the bottom, it says, if you go back to the previous slide, is that you're not what you do. So often we believe that we are what we do. And what we're going to talk about in this series is as we study habits is that the reality is the God, we are not what we do. If you are a believer, you are what's been done. You're not what you do, you are what's been done. And so what we're going to do in this series, we're going to look at different habits. Here's the reality, right? In this, in this season, there are certain habits that you've stopped doing that you want to pick up again. In this season, there are habits that you've picked up that you want to keep doing. And so we're going to talk about habits and what the Bible has to say about habits. Looking at habits through a gospel lens. I think that habits can show can show us who we are, but I also believe that good habits can shape who we are. And that's what we're going to be talking about in that series starting on June 7th. Now, the other thing I want to do here is I want to walk you through biblically where we, why we landed on this thing. Because some of you, if you're anything like me, you're sitting here right now and you're saying, man, I really like this. I think this is good. But 
man, how do I, does this even line up biblically? Can we even, can we even do something like this? Is this even allowed? Well, once I started praying through this and processing this over the past couple months, um, I brought it to our lead team and we started praying and figuring out what it looked like. But to me, the most important part was running it through a biblical lens, through a biblical filter, because I wanted to make sure that this new initiative lined up with what scripture said. And so that's what I did. I, I ran it through the lens of Matthew 28, 18, 18 through 20, which is the Great Commission. And the Great Commission, it says, it's a, partip- a participle and it says, as you are going, make disciples. And I feel that this, this initiative, uh, this, this new strategy that we are adding allows people to, to, as they are going, to make disciples. As you go to the gym and as you go to the grocery store and as you go to work, the, the people who are in your sphere of influence are the very people who you can invite to be a part of this group. I looked at it through the lens of 1 Peter 2.9, where Peter tells us that we are a priesthood of believers and that our job is to declare uh, the glory and the majesty of, of God. Man, I think that this is really good for us in this, this new initiative because it moves us from being not only being building-centric, but being clergy-centric, right? Uh, the, when, when, when a lot of churches believe that the only people that can do ministry are the clergy. We believe in a lot of scripture that this allows us to really carry out the priesthood of believers. Then I ran it through Acts 2, 42, the, the features of the early church. As I talked, as, as we thought about these groups and all the different aspects that it would have, there was nothing that didn't align with what we had and what we see in Acts 2, 42. Then we looked at Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, the marks of community where we are to not neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. When you look at what the author of Hebrews says biblical community is, man, this, these groups that we are starting are right Uh, in line with that. And here's the thing, I don't know if you know this, but when the author of Hebrews wrote this passage, the churches he was writing to were not in big mega church buildings, they were in homes, right? So biblically, it definitely lines up with Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. You look at it through the lens of Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, where we equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's what we would be doing. We would be equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. So that's not clergy-centric, but it is a priesthood of believer century. You look at uh, Titus chapter 2, 1 through 5, where it says older men pour into younger men and and older women pour into younger women. These groups will allow for intergenerational ministry because my hope is that we will have older people with younger people and they can do ministry together and, and do life together and do discipleship together. You run it through the lens, the lens of Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. And I actually, this is a really important one because one of the shifts that we're making starting June 7th is our children's material isn't going to come up at the end of the service. Because like I already mentioned, instead what's going to come up is about 30 minutes of the questions that I want you to be discussing. So instead what we're doing is we're moving all of our kids' content to our YouTube channel, which we already have, and we're going to send that link to the parents so you guys can be uh, updated with that. But what we want is, man, what would it look like for, you can still do it right after the service is over if you want to do that. But what would it look like for parents in this season to strategically pick a day of the night, you know, one, one, one night, a Tuesday or a Wednesday and say, hey, tonight is going to be family night. Tonight is going to be the night that we look through the content and we study it together. And then all of a sudden, it's the parents that are doing the ministry. It's the parents that are discipling their kids, not necessarily some paid staff 
member. And then lastly, as you look at the book of Acts and as you look at, at the epistles, one of the things that we're going to roll out later on in the fall is a big part of our initiative in the future will be church planning. And what I'm really excited about is that if we, as we roll out High Point at Home, what, what it's going to do is going to show us on a map the different places where God is giving us favor, the different places where God is already working. And so as we pray about church planning, what would it look like for us in the future to get to a place where we end up planting churches in the areas where High Point at Home has been most successful. And so as I ran it through this filter, and there's probably many more verses I could give, but I know that if you're anything like me, you're probably wondering how this lines up with scripture. In light of scripture, in light of me reading and praying and studying and really putting it before the Lord, I feel that what we are doing lines up. And not only does it line up, it is actually reinforced um, by scripture. So that's a lot of information <laughs> that I just gave you. But, but what I want you to know, and here's my prayer for us, as, as, we, as we navigate this season, here's, what, here's my prayer for us. My, my prayer is that as we uh, pilot this, as we roll this out in phases, man, how cool would it be? Dream with me here for a second. How cool would it be? Imagine if we get to a place where four or five years from now, uh, there's more high pointers outside of Memphis than inside of Memphis. Man, here's the thing. We, we, we had to start this at some point, right? It's got to start somewhere. And so the question was for our team was why not here and why not now? Now, the question you might be asking is this. How can I um, participate in this? What, what can I do uh, to be a part of this uh, church at home initiative? Well, there's actually three things uh, you can do. Um, the, the first thing that you can do is you can pray. And, and, and by prayer, I mean two things. First, we would really appreciate your prayers as we rolled out this initiative, as, as we pilot these groups, as we, as we go phase by phase going into uh, the summer. So pray for the initiative. The other thing I would ask you to pray for is pray about what, what if God is calling you to be a part of this? Pray, pray for your neighbors, pray for your coworkers, pray for your family and say, Lord, are you calling me to strategically uh, uh, partner with High Point Church, become a part of this church, and, and, and do church at home in my neighborhood, in my subdivision, in my community. The other thing I would love for you to do is to participate. And there's actually two ways you can participate. You can go to our website, uh, highpointonline.com. And on the website, you essentially will get uh, a summary of everything I just said. And like I said, there's, there's, there's still phases to it, but you're going to get a rough idea. Very, uh, and, and I'm so grateful for our team and all the work that they put into it. You're going to get a picture of what we hope these groups uh, will be. The other thing that you can do to participate is not just go to our website, but we actually have these yard signs that we are going to be uh, rolling out. So if you are here in the Memphis area, uh, we would love for you to come by either one of our campuses on Tuesday or Wednesday of this week. And between 11 and 1 p.m., we are going to have these yard signs that you can take and put in your yard as we start this new initiative called Church at Home. Now, if you are not in our region, um, but you want one of these signs, reach out to us and we will figure out how to get that to you. Um, but just know that just because you're not here in Memphis uh, doesn't mean you can't participate, i.e. the new strategy that we are starting, right? And the last thing I want you to know is not, you, not just pray and not just participate, but man, please have patience with us. And here's what I mean by patience. You know, at the end of the day, uh, we're figuring this out. 
And, and, and we've prayed about this. We brought it to the Lord. We really believe this is where God is leading us. But because we're rolling this out in phases, because we are piloting this, man, we would really appreciate your patience. We would really appreciate your grace. And, and we would really appreciate your feedback because we want to make sure that this phase one, we get all the kinks out, learn as much as we can so that when we roll it out in the fall in connection with the rest of the vision, it can be a very strong initiative. So that's kind of where we are. And uh, here's the thing. I believe that in light of scripture, in light of everything we just talked about, but specifically in light of scripture, our mission doesn't change, our message doesn't change, but our methods have to change in order to reach the generation that God has placed us in. Like I said earlier, uh, based on that map, based on everything I just shared with you today, we are, no long, we, are, we are not in Memphis anymore. Or to put it another way, we are not only in Memphis anymore. And man, praise be to God for that. Love you guys. Let's pray. Father God, we, uh, we come before you this morning and uh, we are so grateful for the fact that you are working. And, and Lord, I pray even now for the people who are considering this, the people who are excited about this, the people who want to be a part of this, Lord, I pray um, that you would be working in their hearts so they can be praying, so they can be participating, they can just see what, what you are up to. Lord, I, I think about even Psalm 90, verse 17, the verse that we looked at a couple weeks ago, Lord, that I pray that you would establish the work of our hands, Lord, but, but that, we wouldn't, that we wouldn't force you to bless what we're doing, but that we would join you in what you're doing. Lord, I truly believe that this is not just the future of our church in particular. I believe that it's the future of our church, of the church in general. And so, Lord, I know that in many ways we're on the front end of this, but that's what High Point's always been known for, for being on the front end of things. And so, Lord, I know that there's a lot of faith and there's even a lot of risk. But Lord, in light of everything that we process, all of the information, more than, thing, more than anything else, all the prayer, we really believe this is where you are leading us. So, so we thank you for bringing us here and we thank you in advance for the people who are gonna connect and become a part of this in the short term and what this is going to be in the long term. We love you, Lord, and we give all this over to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.